Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? The following is an actor portrayal. With Kindly Assisted Living and Memory Care at Asbury Methodist Village in Montgomery County, you can anticipate more. But don't take our word for it. My dad moved to Kindly and loved it. His apartment was spacious, sunny, and overlooked Parkland. It was a great comfort to me to see him always smiling and involved in the life at Kindly. Enjoy quality on-site nursing and rehab services, too. Visit Kindly at Asbury.org today. Equal Opportunity Housing Provider. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 152 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clegg and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. The 2022 fantasy season is in the books, but the content continues. It's time to look back and reflect on 2022 while getting ready for 2023. And with me to do so is my 80-year co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, are you ready to start turning the page to 2023? Yep, it's time to reflect on all teams and see what went right, what went wrong, and and start diving into players specifically and trying to do rankings and that sort of stuff. So no real end to the fantasy season for me, especially, you know, all the dynasty that I play. Like, dynasty really right. never ends. A couple of my dynasty leagues already renewed there because Fantrax already opened up for next year, which is awesome. So sure they did. already renewed, and we are – you know, ready to roll again. So that's, that's fine. Yeah. Three of my dynasty leagues are already up for 2023. So yeah, time to get in on the work. Absolutely. And congrats to you. Chris won the inaugural tool toolshed Patreon dynasty league. So congrats to you, Chris. Thank you. Yeah. That was a, that was a pretty, by the end of the year, that was, I can't, I I really didn't think this team would run away with it, but the final tally, I think I won by like 13 points. It was kind of crazy. I was, I was with you for a bit that my team kind (laughs) of slowed down a bit. I think I finished third or fourth, Yeah, Um, but still it was, it was a good season. It was a fun little league to start. Oh no, this wasn't the, no, this is the second year. year. Yeah. Yeah, I don't don't know why I said not the second year, but yeah, I think last year we, we both finished like what fourth and fifth or something like that. We were. Both right around there, if I recall correctly. It was. I think we were two and three, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, were we two uh, and three last year? Okay, so we, we finished like both top three, and then you won it this year. So yeah, somebody yeah, that, somebody kicked our butt. I, I will. I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, I finished oh, second. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, it was Philip. Philip's an excellent dynasty player. Yeah, he won. I finished second. You were fifth last year. I was fifth. Okay, I knew and I was then, in uh, range. Yeah, and then this year it went. You were you were one point out of second this year. So. Yeah, it was it was really close for second place. Yeah, I had one nineteen and a half. Case eighty eight. Casey, he's in our Discord. He was at one hundred six, and you were at one hundred five. 
Very close. Yeah. But you yeah. did pull away the last like five, six weeks or so. That was when you started gaining your lead ahead, pulling ahead of me there and in, in case 88 as well. Yeah. But yeah. Fantrax leagues are already open. It's great. And it's, it's a fun time of year. Like, I, I think I almost like off season content a little more than in season content just because for one stats are like finalized. You don't have to like, you know, wait for stats to update or try to do it, you know, before they have more games. Like, you can take your time, didn't do the content. There's no like rush on anything really. And yeah, with dynasty work and, you know, in season's fun and all, but like sometimes they get a little mundane. Like the, you know, you get same thing every week where it's like waiver wire or stat cast or streamers or two star, you know, stuff like that. So if off season, you can have a little more fun and we had a lot of content pumping out on all of our platforms here. I'll get to that in a second. Before we get into today's show, the usual housekeeping here. You can follow us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm at Aircross04. And our show's at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon for extra content from both of us and our YouTube channel for plenty of fun videos throughout the offseason. Chris got one up the, uh, the other day on Hunter Green and what the changes he made in the second half. Great article, or, or excuse me, great video there. And I just put up one on my, just discussing my top 20 starting pitchers for 2023. So go check those out and we'll have a lot more uh, video consistently throughout the offseason. We're going to ramp up that YouTube channel and keep it ramped up uh, into 2023 and beyond. And of course, check out all that Fantrax and Fantrax HQ have to offer. As we said, 2023 baseball leagues are already open. There's a, you know, not going to wait. Just You can get right into 2023 leagues. And we have plenty of great content on HQ for whatever fantasy sports you're into. All right, Chris, let's get right into it here. Today, well, the next two episodes, we're going to be discussing you know, what you might have missed in September is some trends and performances down the stretch where, you know, it's natural. Some people kind of check out a little bit if your team is not in it or if you you know, play fantasy football as well. You know, it happens. So some things might fly under the radar and go a little bit unnoticed or undervalued in you know, the last month or, you know, five, six weeks of the season. So we're going to talk about some of those today. Today we'll do pitchers and our next episode we will do hitters. So Let's hop right into it now. Get some of the uh, the bad, you know, stats and performances <laughs> out of the way first. Start with a couple of former Oakland Athletics, Sean Manaya, Frankie Montas here, both of which didn't perform great down the stretch here. Manaya, oh, both really not great for a, a while now. Montas more so the second half after he went to the Yankees. Man- and Manaya has really been kind of bad all year. Let's start with Manaya though. Okay, overall in the season, four ninety six ERA. And a 130 whip K rate down to 23.2%. And you look at in the second half of the year, 644 ERA. And in September, 7 ERA, August 788. And he had one good start end of the year in October, six shutout innings, but pretty bad for most of the year. And this was a guy that was valued as, ah, was he like SP 40 to 50 range? I want to say before the season. So like, you know, SP three or four, depending on how you know, deep your leagues are. And I don't even know if he's, is he top 75 moving forward, Chris? What do you think? I don't think I'd touch him personally. Just, yeah, I mean, the, the regression is pretty significant. He was bad all year, but he was really bad down the stretch, as you mentioned. And from August 1st on is really just where it all fell apart. He had a, a 6.56 ERA over that span, just 45 Ks and 48 innings, 11 home runs allowed in nine starts. Like, that's just, not going to cut it, and, you know, he's a tough one because he was coming off a career year last year, but pitching in Oakland was a lot different. You moved to San Diego, obviously not the pitcher's park that Oakland is, 
And there's a lot more pressure. Like he's pitched in Oakland his entire career where there's been minimal pressure for the most part. I know the A's have made the playoffs a couple times with it was since he's been with the team. Have they? Though? I don't I don't know, man. Time goes so quick. Like I feel like they were in the playoffs in like 2019. I'm pulling it up right now. You're probably right. This feels like it's been forever because because they they seem like they just suck. Let's see. Oh no, they made it in 2020. They made it 2018, 19, and 20. Okay. Yeah. Lost in the wild card in 18 and 19, and in the ALDS in 2020. That's right. Yeah. But there's it's just a different environment that you have to pitch in when you go to a team that's expected to be a contender. And you know, with Manaya, like what changed this year? Not a whole lot, honestly. Like his pitch mix was pretty similar. So there's that. You know, his velo was I want it his velo was up in 2021 from a career like standpoint. So it, it pretty much like normalized this year. So I wonder, like, even last year, like going to like 92-1 on the sinkers, like not that great. He was 91-2 on it this year. The change up, you know, his arsenal's just kind of meh, in my opinion. And it's just I don't know. I don't want anything to do with Sean Mania. And if you look at the surface numbers, you may be out anyway, but you should definitely be out if you saw what he did over the final two months. Yeah, I have zero desire to. You could offer him to make here. I'll give you 50 bucks to roster Sean Mania. I would, I would politely pass. I, I have zero desire to roster him in any format. I was not big on him coming into the year. I think I had him as one of my. I don't know if I listed it as a bust article or a fade article, whatever it was. He was in that, and I was just out on him beforehand. And, yeah, I just, the stuff's always been kind of mad. Like, yeah, he had that – what was that one – like, was it 2020 when he – no, 2019, he had like a 121 ERA through five starts. And I think people hold on to that a little bit for some odd reason. I'm like, no, he's not that good. He's never been a big K-rate guy. He's a middle-of-the-road K-rate guy at best. Yeah, 21-6 for his career. And the – Ratios have mostly been like he's a career 406 ERA guy. I mean, you know, is he better than what he showed down the stretch? Maybe, but yeah, I, I want nothing to do with him. And then same with Frankie Montas. I, you know, obviously Montas is, is much better than Sean Manaya, but I just don't like, and I said it before on this podcast, I don't like him in Yankee Stadium. Like you look at what he did with the Yankees here, eight starts, 635 ERA, 154 whip. Uh, what is there to say that, okay, he's not going to be 635 ERA bad, you know, again next year, but what's to say he's anything close to the, you know, the low to mid three ERA guy we saw in Oakland. Like, I don't like this park for him. I don't like the division for him. It's much, you know, obviously the vision is much better as you got, you got Houston out there and then you get Seattle, you know, decent Texas is okay, I guess offensively, but it's not a, overall, not a very good hitting division, not especially not compared to the AL East where you have good hitters, you know, parks and good hitting teams. Don't like the park, don't like the division. Does he got bounce back? Sure, but maybe he's, what, low to mid four ERA Montas with, you know, a 20, what was his key rate this year? 23.4. So he's a, he's always been like a, a slightly above average key rate guy. But if he's giving you 24% K rate with a 4-2 ERA, which I think is very reasonable expectation for him, that's rosterable but not anywhere near where he's probably going to go right and on the positive and this isn't a positive thing but a positive for his outlook i really do think that he was pitching hurt with the yankees could be so i mean he was hurt at the time of the trade and that shoulder kind of bothered him and he was kind of in and out inconsistent starts 
and he didn't pitch obviously past like mid September, but I just have to wonder like if that affected him a lot. And if it did, like what should we expect from him? Maybe the price is depressed enough next year where he's a buy in redraft. I don't know if I'd just like go all in on him in a dynasty league or anything, but he could be a decent buy. Like I, like I mentioned, I don't want to touch Mania. And the crazy thing is, Mania was in a walk here. Like this was a contract year for him, and he he just crapped the bed that bad. And Montas will be back with the Yankees, and we we know that. So it'll be interesting to see like where his ADP lands up next year, because I really have no clue. But I think that he will be better than that. But I'm just afraid that he's like a four type ERA. Yeah, Except obviously I'm more in on him, and if I can get him for the right cost, I would. I just I don't think I'm going to get him for the right cost, whether it be dynasty or redraft next year. Like he's got the you know the previous you know pedigree, the the Yankees tag on there. Those always get you know give that little elevated price tag with it being on the Yankees. So I just don't see him being at a price where I'll want to. If he is, absolutely. I I think obviously he's better than what he showed, but I still think people are going to hold on to his Oakland. You know, kind of performance a bit more than they should. So I think I'm probably going to be out on, at cost on Montas. A couple others over here in the National League Mike Clevenger and Josiah Gray. You know, Clevenger, he's kind of flown under the radar for you know, how kind of mediocre he's been. Like, I think people were expecting him to come back and kind of be the Clevenger of old, you know, the fun flowing hair. He's got the personality, you know, good or bad. He's got the personality. He's, he's, he's an interesting character in general, but this year he just wasn't that good. Like he's kind of kind of reminds me of like what Thor was doing this year where it wasn't necessarily bad, just extremely boring and bland for fantasy. Just like low, low K's middle of the road ratios. I get a 433 ERA 120 whip only an 18.2% K rate after being, you know, having a K rate above 26% come for his career coming into this year. You know, the whiff rates were down this year. Uh, chase rates, you know, chase rate was still okay, but whiff rate was down 6.1%. Look at those metrics, Chris. This is a lot of just meh. I hate using the word meh, but it's just, <laughs> I think it describes him pretty well. I mean, look at another thing too is basketball velocity was down about a mile and a half as well. So not a lot of encouraging things here for Clevenger moving forward, at least in my eyes. Yeah, it's. I just wonder, like, is this like kind of the downfall at this point? Like, obviously the injuries, and he was elite. Like, I really do think that he was, you know, really elite for a while, and we we yep. kind of saw that from like 2017 through even 2020, like just really good numbers. And even after this year, his career ERA is still three three nine, which is pretty impressive. But yeah, from 2017 to 2020, he had a sub three ERA, which is good, and a 28 percent K rate. So, yeah, all those things are pretty notable, but you have to wonder, like, he just seems like a different guy post-surgery, and now we're looking at somebody that's going to be 32 next year. So it it could be tough, like, to see a rebound, but he also may be someone that just goes so late in drafts. Like, you could just grab him for cheap, and he ends up being, like, around a 40 RA and be a useful, like, spot starter in your rotation kind of thing. But mm. it's discouraging to see his – velo go like tick down like that's certainly something you don't want to see coming back from injury and he also kind of changed the pitch mix up a bit like using the the sinker a lot more than he had before so that seems pretty notable too to 
see him like and that could affect the K rate, I think, too. And that's when when guys are going to the sinker more and pitching to induce that weak contact, there's not they're not going to get whiff rates on sinkers. So it's uh, definitely hurts their value. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I was pulling up my my preliminary kind of early first draft 2023 rankings. I've gone through, I've gotten catcher first, second, and pitcher done. And I have Clevenger's SP 77 for next year, yeah. right between Michael Walker and Trevor Rogers for what it's worth. So, and I, in Montas, I have 46. And who did we just talk about? Oh, Manaya. I have Manaya. Oh, guaranteed lower than even Clev. I mean, I have SP ninety right now. Yeah. So yeah, it just shows like I'm I'm pretty much out on. I, I could be back in a Montas at the right cost, but I'm out on these other two. Like Clevenger, like I think he's still gonna be fine. Like so it's kind of the same thing with Noah Sundagar. How he was, you know, okay. He wasn't terrible. He didn't have a lot of blow ups. Just mediocre across the board. And even look at a lot of his metrics here. There's a lot of like blue blue balls and <laughs> there's a savant metrics still with a couple pinks mixed in. You know, some lighter blues as opposed to the darker blues. But, yeah, there's not a lot of encouraging stuff here from Clevenger. And then Josiah Gray, you know, he's kind of one that was had a very interesting end of the season. Uh, you know, back earlier in the year, the the ratios were very fluctuant, like week to week, month to month. But at least the one constant was like he was getting the Ks. From the end of the year, ratios still were, you know, inconsistent and downright sucked, for lack of a better terminology. But then he just couldn't. All of a sudden, he stopped striking guys out. From September 1st on, he had a 6.75 ERA, and not like the indicators are any better. 5.89 xFIP, 5.81 Sierra, 1.58 WHIP, and then 11.2% walk rate. That's kind of where he was most of the year, but only a 12.1% K rate. Like he was up 25, 30% for a lot of the year. Then all of a sudden, he just stopped striking guys out. So, with Gray, Chris, is this something where? You're concerned, or do you see a little bit of a buying window? Because I think I might see a little bit of a buying window. Though I am concerned a little bit, too. I'm kind of twofold here. I'm just not sure who he is. Like, I think we yeah. got some fool's gold in the month of June. He pitched 24 innings in June and had a one one three ERA. Like, that was his really his best month by far. And we saw the strikeouts. The strikeouts were there in June and July, actually. He had a 29.2% K rate in June and a 30% K rate in July. And then it just really toppled off from there. And down the stretch, just really bad, as you mentioned, just completely went away. And I don't know who the real Josiah Gray is because he didn't have a single month other than June that he had an ERA below four. And April was the only month he was below five outside of June. So, I mean, you look at the the splits month to month, and he was a 405 ERA, 574, 113, 675, 506, and then six seven five, like I just I'm just not sure like what we're gonna get out of him, which is concerning. And, and honestly, like I'm just a bit worried about the Nationals' pitching development. Like it just hasn't been good. They haven't had a good track record with it. These guys stay hurt. They've had all these good pitchers. I mean, all these good pitchers, but like Patrick Corbin goes there and just terrible after a career year. Steven Strasburg can't stay on the mound. I'm worried for Mackenzie Gore going there. I know Josiah's Gray's young. He'll be 25 for next season. But I don't know. Like I'm not sure who he really will be long-term. It could be a good buying opportunity, as you mentioned. 
but he's got to figure out who he is too as a pitcher. And I think that's evident if you look at his pitch mix month by month. It's just all over the chart. Like yeah. the constant is he doesn't throw the change up very much. But man, it's just like he just doesn't know who he wants to be. And I think he needs to be more consistent at least with with what he's throwing. And I get changing up pitch mix can be good and useful sometimes, but he's got to find what works best for him. And in his best month, it was a pretty good mix of the curve, four seam, and the slider. But as I said, it was kind of all over the board. And really, like, what's worked, what works for him, I don't really know. He's got a good whiff rate on the slider. I'd love to see him throw it a little more. The curveballs, they're both above 30% on whiff rates, 32.2 yeah. on the curve and 38 on the slider. He's just got to use the four seam less, which is – He's got destroyed on this year. 24 home runs, a 304 batting average against a 738 slug on that pitch. That's not good. It's it's location for one with the four seam. And two, I don't know. It's just not a great pitch in general. It is interesting because he began using the sinker a little bit towards the end of the season. Obviously, that's not going to get him more Ks, but it also is not going to get him destroyed if he can pinpoint it better than the four seam. So we saw that drop in the four seam in September and October down nearly 13% and all that went to the sinker usage. So if that sticks, like I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay with him pitching to weak contact with the sinker and using the slider and curveball more like I'd almost rather see him get rid of the four seam or at least hardly ever use it with the way it is right now. You know, another issue with Gray that I was just looking at while you were talking, he gives up a crap ton of home runs. Yeah, he. So, OK, let's look at the top five in home runs allowed this year. I'm just going straight up home runs allowed, not home runs for nine. Fifth is Herman Monk, Herman Marquez, 30 home runs, 181 and two thirds innings. Marco Gonzalez, 30 home runs, 183 innings. Robbie Ray, 32 and 189 innings. Garrett Cole, 33 and 202 thirds. So notice all of them are above 180 innings. And then Josiah Gray at 38 in just 148 and two thirds innings. And if you want to look at the home runs per nines, people like to look at that. It was, oh, where to go? I think it was two point, what was it? 2.30, which you look at at fifth is 1.72. So he's giving up a home run once every 3.9 innings. That's not good. <laughs> that is obviously not great. So. How many innings you say he threw this year? I'm gonna look at the leaderboard for 148 that. and two thirds. Okay, so I'm, he probably wasn't. I don't know if he's qualified or not, but oh, probably not because qualified you have to have like a million innings pitch. They need they need to change that. But oh yeah, this all right. So of starters with 140 innings, <laughs> he was first by a long shot. It dropped from 2.3 home runs per nine to Sean Manaya 1.65 home runs per nine. That is a sizable gap. Oh yeah, because the uh, the ones in between that. So what do they have? That I, I put it to I put it to a hundred. Uh, so that also caught. You say Kikuchi, Paulo Espino, Nadia Davaldi, and Hunter Green were all in between those uh, yeah. those guys. So yeah, it's uh, you know two thirds of a home run per nine drop right. down from Gray to Mani- to a Manaya. Yeah, so not yeah, to I, mention his walk rate was the second worst among pitchers that had 140 innings. That makes sense. Who who was the worst? Surprisingly, uh, Dylan Cease. <laughs> Oh well, at, yeah, at what? I didn't what was... expect that. Ten point four percent. Gray was ten point two. So right about where he's been, but yeah. So with, with Gray, I think there's a decent opportunity 
for a buy low, both in Dynasty and Redraft. People just looking at his surface ERA of 502, you know, what he how bad he was down the stretch. I think there's still some upside to be had here. Like, of course, you mentioned the whiff rate. He's, you know, and he had a 27% K rate entering August. So I don't know what, why he decided to take a nosedive here end of the year. And you know, maybe it was him, like you said, him trying to find his, uh, his pitch mix here, but still got some good stuff. Get some, a couple good breakers. So I'll take a, I think the cost will be there. You know, I'm just speculating at this point, but I think the cost could be there. Both redraft and dynasty to have a, a decent little buying opportunity, probably better than the others by the, you know, venture, I guess here, but yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It'll be a big year for him in 2023, but yeah, I do echo your concerns with the Nats. Like, there's not been a good track record recently, and you could even extend that into the minors. Like Cavalli's fallen off the last year or so. Cole Henry can't stay healthy. Jackson Rutledge was, you know, a big time prospect when he was drafted, and he's kind of crapped out. And so, yeah, this uh, their hitting's okay. They've done, you know, a, a fair job, you know, developing hitters, but not so much. Well, unless you're Victor Robles, but not not so much pitchers. So, all right, I think that's a good time to take a break here, get a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Support for Fantrax Toolshed brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. If you didn't know, obviously we're sponsored by Manscaped, and Manscaped offers great products and is offering you 20% off and free worldwide shipping using the code TOOLSHED at manscaped.com. There's no better time to go and to get some new tools for your shed than today, so go do that today, 20% off and free shipping using the code TOOLSHED. The 4.0 package has arrived at Manscaped, and it's a game changer. Inside that 4.0 package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, the Crop Preserver deodorant, the Crop Reviver toner, the Performance Boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. First off, the Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming, and dare I say, the greatest ball trimmer ever. I am blown away by the performance in its craftsmanship, Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade that will not cut you because it's cutting-edge, and it reduces grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof. You can use it in the shower, and it has a 4,000K LED spotlight that is plenty bright you need for your most precise shaves. You thought that was good, but Manscaped wants to take your grooming game even further. The 4.0 package includes the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. This is a phenomenal tool that you can use for both in your ears and in your nose. It's also waterproof. provides the same proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes. The Crop Preserver Below the Waist Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Below the Waist Toner will change the way that you approach your daily routine. Manscaped will even throw in two free gifts for you in this package. The the Manscaped boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. So bring your comfort and boxers to the next level. It's time to take care of yourself. Go use our code TOOLSHED at manscaped.com to get 20% off and free shipping. That's right. Today's the day. You need to treat yourself. Get some new tools for the Shed. Go to manscaped.com. Get 20% off. Use the code TOOLSHED. All right. Welcome back from the break. All right, we're getting into some more positive September notes and performances now. And let's start with a pair of Cincinnati Reds rookie arms here with Hunter Green and Josiah Gray. Let's go over to Chris here first because Chris did a great video on Hunter Green. 
here and kind of what he, you know, what changed for him, what improved for him, you know, over the last, you know, six, eight weeks or so, whatever it's been. So, Chris, what did you what did you see that kind of led to Green's resurgence and breakout here over the last two months or so? Well, he started using the fastball more, which is interesting, using it up to 60% of the time, which, you know, before the All-Star break, 52.2% usage, which is a lot, but then he upped it to 586 Many would say that's a negative. As we look at the day and age where people are using fastballs less and less, with Green it worked. And why did it work? Because he upped the velo on it significantly. As if he didn't already have enough, he was averaging 98.7 miles an hour before. Over the final six starts, which was his second half, because he came back after the All-Star break, had two starts, got injured, and then came back mid-September. So six starts was his second half, small sample but still average 99.8 miles an hour on that. That's pretty notable. Those final six starts, he pitched 35 and a third, 51 strikeouts, eight walks, a 102 ERA. That's pretty crazy. His final four after he returned from injury, from a shoulder injury at that, he had two earned runs allowed in 23 innings. That's pretty crazy too. But beyond just the velo and the usage, you know, he upped his velo on his slider, but the induced vertical break was improved. Now, basically, what that means is looking at the height that he releases it and looking at the height of where it enters the zone. So that lowered a bit, which is a good thing that you want to see. He dropped it from 16 inches to 15.3. That's a, a really good number for IVB. And his horizontal movement increased a bit on it. You know, in the past, like people have talked about his fastball being flat a bit and easy to hit, but it actually wasn't. The spin rates jumped on both the four seam and the slider after returning from injury, and his whiff rates jumped significantly in the second half. 39.7% whiff rate on the four-seam. That's elite for a four-seam and 38.2% on the slider. So another thing that's important is he was throwing it in the heart of the zone less. Like, may not seem like much, but the four-seam in the heart of the zone dropped from 26.4% to 24.5% in the second half. And here's where it really happens. The meatballs from the sliders, like, the heart of the zone, he was he dropped it in 22.3% of the time in the first half and dropped that to 14.7% in the second half. So he wasn't leaving the slider hanging as much, which is pretty significant. He finished with an 18.6% overall swing and strike rate on the last six starts. That's huge. The overall, overall numbers weren't great, so I think you could still buy him like if people didn't realize how good he was. But this is... Somebody like this is why we were doing the episode because Hunter Green was just so good in the second half and especially after coming back from injury because he was super elite. And how high can he go? Man, I don't know. But this stuff that we saw was similar to Spencer Strider and that gives me a lot of hope. I was just about to say that. Like, Why why can't he make a Spencer Strider jump next year? Yeah. I don't don't see any reason why why he can't. Like you said, you look at how good – yeah, he's, he's similar. He's able to change up about 5-6% of the time, which is what Strider does. You know, he's upper 90s four-seamer, upper 80s slider. Look at in September, both had a batting average against under 150, a slug against of 200 or less, Woba of 210 or less, and expected stats were right around there as well. And the whiff rate on the four-seamer was 39.7% in September. And obviously you can't really sustain that, but you know, the slider whiff rate was 32 in September, but it was also 62.5. Oh, that's a smaller sample size in August, but you know, he is yeah, one star. <laughs> yeah, it was one star. I just realized that I looked at the number of pitches. I'm like, oh, never mind. But still, like, he has there's a lot of strider characteristics here 
with Hunter Green. So can definitely see him making that that big jump next year. Like I'm I'm in the middle of writing an article slowly because I'm writing like three other articles at the same time. I don't know why, but with Green and his teammate Lodolo, who we'll talk about here in a second, in it for next year, and it's be very positive. If you're a Green or Lodolo fan or roster them in Dynasty, you're gonna love this article. But yeah, like you said these him and Lodolo are really the two big reasons why we wanted to do something like this is I think it kind of flew under the radar just how good both of them were down the stretch and in the second half of the season. Like you look in where did I just have the stats over here. Since September 1st, Caymanus Walker rate, green 33.3 with an 078 ERA over four starts. And then Lodolo in six starts with a 248 ERA and a 27.7% Caymanus walk rate. Obviously, you know, green's the sexier arm. He throws harder, you know, he's more exciting, but you know, both these guys in their own way have massive breakout appeal. If you look at the surface stats for like for each, really you look at green, let's see surface stats this year for Hunter Green, 444 ERA, 121 whip. Yeah, 30.9% K rate. I think everyone knows he can strike out bat- batters, but you look at the surface stats, and then the Lodolos are three sixty-six and one twenty-five. Those don't tell the full story. Like I said, a lot of that was them getting their feet wet. Like they've made 19 starts for Lodolo, 24 for Green this year. You know, a lot of that was them getting their feet wet. They don't have the greatest ballpark. That's a hard park to adjust to. And But as the season wore on, August, September, you saw the talent from both of these guys really shine through. And they both can strike out guys at a really high clip. You look at Lodolo's 29.7%. Four-seam curveball, sinker, change-up mix. Got a 46% whiff rate on that curveball that he throws around 36, 30.6% of the time. And that go, I think that went up as season. Yeah, you threw that 34% of the time in September, 33 in August, and 29 in July. So he threw that more and more as, as the season went on. Right, that's his best offering. In September, 0.077 batting average against on that curve. In August, 156. And July, 0.71. So, like, throwing that, you know, we talked about that a lot. Throwing your best pitch more. He's got good stuff. He can miss bats with the four-seamer as well. One of the higher whiff rates on the four-seamer in baseball. He's got a decent changeup as well when he decides to throw it. Hasn't been too bad. It was in September, but... Yeah, I love both these guys a lot moving forward. I think they both can make that jump. So like if I do, you know, that top 20 starting picture video that I did earlier today over on our YouTube, fast forward a year, I'm doing this, you know, next October. I think there's a pretty solid chance that both these guys could be in that top 20 or if not both, one of them and the other one's pretty damn close. I don't see why not. I think they've both made major strides. They're going to be major buys for me in the offseason in Dynasty, and then for next year as well. I really like what they did down the stretch. Yeah, so you can see why Cincinnati was, you know, a little, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, they're willing to, you know, give up, you know, over the last couple of years, like guys like Sony, Sony Gray and, and you know, and Tyler Molly, et cetera, because they knew they had these types of guys waiting in the wings. So I think this would be a very good duo over the next couple of years. Who's the other name that's still there in Cincinnati? Chris, who's their remaining, like, decent veteran that they did not trade away why, why am i blanking on this or they mm-hmm. did they get rid of everybody they might have got rid of everybody they traded actually. molly they traded the cast and they traded and they traded gray okay maybe this is, i thought they had like one decent guy left i guess i'm not nah, they got rid of they, they got rid of them all cleaned house don't. but hey if you can go forward with these two and see them develop and be you know the two kind of horses in your rotation moving forward 
that's not a, not a bad spot to be with all the talent they get coming up through the minor leagues as well. So, yeah, definitely huge, huge buy right now for both Lodolo and Hunter Green. We could talk the rest of the episode about these two guys, but let's move on to some other arms here. We'll keep it in the National League, National League Central here with Hayden Wesneski, who didn't have the, you know, exactly the same prospect pedigree as these two, or even really close for that matter. Came up with the Yankees, kind of blossomed over the last year or two, along with Walter Chuck out there, who's now with Oakland. Kind of those two rose as other names in that org, like Davey Garcia and Clark Schmidt and Luis Medina kind of fell down rankings. But Wes Neske, since September 1st, 218 ERA, 0.94 whip, 25% K rate compared to only a 5.3% walk rate. Like, if you were streaming him down the stretch, you probably had some pretty good results because he was just nails every damn start. Right? Overall, he only pitched 33 innings, but a 218 ERA overall. Limited hard contact well, got some swing and miss, kept the walk rate in check. You know, a lot of the ERA indicators, though it's a small sample size, back up what he did. Can miss bats with all five of his offerings, or at least four of them. There's a, there's a lot to like here because some sneaky under the value radar moving forward. Yeah, I've always been a fan of Wesneski. Thought he was a little bit underrated as a prospect, but I didn't expect him to do what he did. I'll say that. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Probably not sustainable. He's not going to throw a sub three ERA and a sub one whip. I just don't think that's realistic, but I think he can be really good. He's interesting because his arsenal. Like he does, he throws his best pitch most often with the slider, and it's a highly effective pitch. His four seems good as well. It's got good velo on it, got decent movement, gets whiffs on it. Then he mixes a sinker and a cutter and a changeup. So you really like to see that. He, obviously, the the changeup's pretty elusive to just left handed batters, but still, it's a good use of his arsenal. I'll say, and I really like the upside that he offers. I think he can be a good arm. I think he's a solid like SP four for fantasy. And I don't think it'll be valued as such. So if you can get that kind of deal, then I'd be thrilled to get him. Yeah. I was just about to say that. So what is the difference between, or let's say, who would you rather take just straight up Montas or Hayden Wesneski next year? Wesneski. All right. And where do you think they're, how far apart do you think they'll be in ranking? So just, just if you had to throw a ballpark number out 20 spots. Yeah, there'll be a. I bet there'll be a hundred picks difference in in drafts. Even my, I gotta reassess my own rankings. I have Montas forty six. Where do I have Wesneski? I have Wesneski seventy five. Okay, so I gotta really, <laughs> I gotta really adjust how I have. There's a lot of guys in this range too, but yeah, Wesneski. I got I gotta move him up because even I undersold him in my own rank. See, like it's just, I think it's natural. Like he did, he wasn't the sexy prospect. He doesn't have the sexy arsenal, but. He's going to have a chance to pitch next year with the Cubs. You know, they don't have a lot of better options there. They've had some guys kind of break out like Justin Steele and whatnot, but Wesneski should have every chance to secure and, and keep a starting rotation spot. So he doesn't like tank in April and May. So the, the volume should be there. And I think, he, I think he should be a, he could be a top 50 arm next year. I could easily see that. And he won't get valued as such. So I, think, I think it's a great value, a good value buy in all formats right now. Going over, yeah, Absolutely. Going over to my Boston Red Sox here. It's a good little Brayon or me, Brown Bayo here, who is very, very fun to watch. So, you know, the Red Sox down the stretch were or really most of the second half of the year just weren't. I still watch the games. I'm a fan, but it was tough. You know, there's some, as you, everyone knows, being a fan, like sometimes there's 
easy to watch your team. Like with Chris right now, it's probably easy to watch the Braves. Red Sox is a little tougher. But one, you know, kind of bright spot down the stretch was Bayo. And you look at what he did in, let's see, since the All-Star break, 383 ERA in 49 and third innings. But then you look at September in five-star. He had a blow-up start or four, four earned four innings in October. But look at September, five starts, 165 ERA, uh, 27 strikeouts in 27 and third innings. He's really starting to show signs of like the upside that now a lot of us saw from him in the minor leagues. Like I saw a potential number two starter. I love the sinker changeup or sinkers, you know, velocity wise. He sat at 96.3. Good movement on it. The changeup is filthy. I think it's already, it could be one of the best changeups in baseball. And he already started showing that this year. 158 batting average against zero extra hits allowed on that 212 Oba and a 44, excuse me, 44.2% whiff rate on that changeup overall. And the slider can be, you know, it's more of like a slider cutter hybrid, but it's a very good pitch as well. And he'll throw a four seamer too. So I think you're starting to see signs of the breakout here for, for Bayo and he's got the bigger name. So he probably won't be too much of a discount, especially if people were paying attention to what he did in September, but I think there's definitely a big breakout appeal here, and the arrow is definitely pointing up for Brown Bayo. I want to know, and I'm trying to find, like if any pitcher had, any starter at that had a higher whiff rate on their changeup because it was just extremely good. And I'm looking at, at Alex Chamberlain's pitch leaderboard is, is phenomenal. So you can sort by pitch type and all that good stuff. Let me, the problem is I got to sort it by like, pitch usage brandon woodruff had a 51.8 percent whiff rate on his changeup that's pretty impressive but i would i think bayo uses his significantly more so i would say that obviously matters too i think what i think what he was like you know in the teens for percent usage i want to say yeah mcclanahan had a 45 percent whiff rate on his changeup, which is pretty good. Surprisingly, Trevor Richards had a 48.7% whiff rate. There's very few. Patrick Sandoval's was 45.4. That so that's sense. pretty solid. Yep. So very few pitchers had more whiffs with their changeup than Brayon Bayo did this year. And he was a rookie too. So that's pretty notable to talk about. Changeup's good. We've both seen him live. I think the Arsenal only got better this year. So there's some really good things to like in this profile. And I think he's only looking up like he's going to be really, really good. Started using yeah. the slider more in September and got the whiffs with it, man. Like that's, that's what we want to see. So like yep. certain, certain improvements, changes in the arsenal, like tweaks down the stretch. Like obviously it's not for telling to say that he's going to use the slider second, most of his arsenal in 2023. But I'd say that's a promising sign that he, used it more and he got the results. Yeah, definitely. And, and three other things here, quick notes on Bayo that are encouraging. To start, he had better expected metrics on his force or sinker, excuse me, than actual metrics by, you know, about 130, 140 points for both batting average and slugs. That's that's cool. He uses all four of his pitches to both sides of the plate. There's no like real big splits there. He uses them to both sides. I always love that. You know, everyone that's why I've been Preaching that with Zach Gow, and I love that. And then the lastly, 55.4% ground ball rate. Pretty damn good. And only one home run allowed, which was on the sinker. So one home run allowed in how many innings he throw overall? 57 in the third innings. One home run, 
allowed 55.4% ground ball rate. I'll take that. A lot of a lot of encouraging signs here for Bayo. So I think next year, probably the last year, you can get him at a, a reasonable cost. I think this is a guy that could be, you know, when he settled in, Chris, where do you think he fits in terms of like the starting pitcher rankings? Like, I'm feeling like he could be like a you know a top 25 ish guy. I think he's definitely could be in that range. Yeah, that was what came to mind when I think of like upside. Like, yeah, maybe consistent like top 40 type, but I could see his upside being like top 25. Yeah. I definitely agree there. Moving over to let's go over to Jesus Lazardo here. You know, he didn't really have a, a big performance on the stretch, but you look at his last start of the year, which I think everyone kind of missed here as I'm pulling up his game log. It was against Chris's Atlanta Braves, too, and it wasn't like they were resting guys. They still had the full lineup of Cunha and Olsen and Dansby, Riley Harris, the whole nine. He went six shutout, four hits, one walk. 12 Ks game before that. Actually, he has four straight really good starts. Game before that against the Mets, six innings, four hits, two runs, two walks, six Ks. Before that against the Cubs, six and two thirds, one run, 11 Ks. Before that against the Nats, so two subpar opponents and two good ones. You, you only can pitch against who you're up against. Six innings, two runs, six Ks. So really dominant down the stretch. And, you know, Two stretch before that, he had seven innings, two runs, nine Ks against Philly, you know, one of the best lineups in baseball. So I think, you know, his value, he missed, you know, was it two and a half, three months or so, dead middle of the season. And he kind of came back and was a bit inconsistent. But, you know, the stuff is still there. Like we talked about him earlier in the year, about how he was throwing the curveball more. And that curveball had a 41.3% whiff rate this year, 30.1% usage rate. It's a lot of good stuff in his profile as well, you know. All four pitches have a batting average against a 220 or less. So I think there's a good buying opportunity here that'll probably slam shut quick. If he starts off the year hot next year, that opportunity will really slam shut quick. But I really like Lizardo right now. It's feeling like deja vu because right. <laughs> he ended last year and his final start, he went five and a third and struck out 11. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> and we were like, oh man, like he's back. And I, I do, I think Lizardo is a really good arm. And I'm very encouraged what he did down the stretch, like extremely good. And, you know, the numbers in September were good. And that featured a start against the Mets where he allowed five earned and three and a third. So that just shows you how good he really was. Yeah. Starting against the Braves. I mean, they were going for the clinch the division that was on Monday. They hadn't clinched yet. So that was a excellent outing from him. It's his pitch mix has been interesting. He's, using the forcing more in the in September, but I will say it's very balanced. Like you look at the usage in September, forcing 28.6%, curve 26.3, sinker 23.2, and change up 21.8. So those are all pretty note notable there that he's using and mixing them pretty well. So encouraging stuff there from him. I'm buying. Like if you can buy him in a dynasty, I certainly would. If you can yeah, I think he's going to be reasonably priced next year in redraft, and I would be all about that too. And you know, the Arsenal is really good overall. And you look at the whiff rates on his pitches, and he has two pitches above forty percent, which is pretty rare. And you look at the chain, the curve forty one point three, the changeup forty four point nine. Like that doesn't happen very often when we're looking at a starter. Yeah, the. The fastballs are, man, I mean, but he still, he doesn't need to get whiffs on those when he's getting the, that kind of whiff with the curve and the changeup. 
and he's inducing enough weak contact with the sinker and even his four seam to still be solid. So, yeah, I, I'm buying Lazardo where I can because I think he's still got that ace upside that I once thought he did. We're talking about somebody that literally just turned 25 a season. He'll pitch the entire next year at 25 years old. So there's still plenty of plenty to like here with Jesus Lazardo. Yeah. I just pulled up a to so the pitchers that have a hundred plus innings pitched this year, which Lizardo was just over. So hundred plus innings pitched, ERA of three point four or less, and or so I'll do a three point five or less, and a walk K minus walk rate above twenty one percent. Here's the list, and this is sorted by I don't even know what it's sorted by, but regardless, Spencer Strider, Carlos Rodon, Kevin Gaussman, Shohei Otani. Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw, Aaron Nola, Max Scherzer, Blake Snell, Zach Wheeler, Shane McClanahan, Brendan Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Christian Javier, Garrett Cole, and Jesus Lazardo. So I know it's just a random thing I just filtered out, but it just shows you like the upside is there. Like we talked about it. So he just needs to put it all together. Like he's been dancing around like a full fledged breakout. And, you know, if he can stay healthy next year, and that's been an issue for him as well, it could be next year. Like you see him. You know, low three ERA, you know, K rate. He had 30% K rate this year. I think that's fully possible again next year. So you're getting, even put him in 150 innings of a low three ERA and a 30% K rate, that's a top 20 starter right there. I think that's definitely possible for Lizardo here in 2023. So definitely buying wherever I can. Next arm here is another lefty who I was very much against coming into the year. And I don't think I was alone in that. And I think there's a lot of reasons why me and others were kind of a little hesitant to buy back in, but Hey, those Dodgers, they, they work their magic and they definitely did. So, you know, in only 72 and two thirds innings, but Andrew Heaney was like quietly very, very good this year in those 72 and two thirds innings, 310 ERA 1.09 whip and a 35.5% K rate, just a 6.1% walk rate. You know, that wasn't fluky either. XERA 339. So, man, Chris, are you, you know, first off, were you a Heaney skeptic coming into the year? I think you kind of had to have been. Everyone kind of was. But, you know, where are you at? Are are you, like, how, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much are you buying into what you saw from Heaney this year? Well, I'll be buying in 2023 based on who he's with like if he's with the Dodgers again then sure I'll buy because they do magic with everybody you mentioned him Tyler Anderson like these arms were just not good like just being honest and they turned them into something really special and I don't know how sustainable Heaney's strikeout rate was near 30% K minus BB is crazy Mm. 16.8% swinging strike rate is a massive outlier in his career Someone that will be 32 next year. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. He intrigues me a bit, and he's going to intrigue me a little bit more if he's in a Dodgers jersey next year, obviously, because who wouldn't be intrigued by any Dodgers pitcher at this point? They're going to get a lot of wins, and somehow they just raise your strikeout rate floor significantly. So, yeah, he'll be one that will be interesting to see what happens, but I don't know, man. Like, I'm just struggling with how I really feel about him because who is like, is this legit or what? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's very valid. And, but you know, the Dodgers obviously saw something with Heaney. Cause you look at what he was in 2021, he was four seam about 59% of the time curveball 
at 22%, changeup at 18. This year, changeup went down to 5%, which is probably good because his changeup sucked this year. 375 batting average against 8 to 813 slug, though expected metrics were a little bit better, but completely ditched the curveball, went with a slider 32% of the time. And that slider was very good 170 batting average against and a 44.3% whiff rate. Yeah, I, I don't think because he's more, he's kind of in that two pitch mold where that five pitch usage on that third pitch. Which is kind of like where like Strider is, but Strider's two pitches are much better than Heaney's, and Heaney's got that really good sweeping slider. So I, I think I don't know I'll scale one to ten. If I have to answer my own question that I asked you, I'd say about a six, maybe a seven if he's with the Dodgers, five elsewhere. But I think there's definitely like they found something, they made that change. It seems to work, but how much? How long can that work? Like this was seventy-two and two-thirds innings. Can that hold up over one hundred and fifty innings? We'll see. But even if he's, I think at this point. Even if he regresses to, you know, let's say like a 3.6, 3.7 ERA and down to, you know, tw- even down to like 29, 30% K rate and like a 1, 2 whip, that's still like, what, top 50 or so pitcher right there, maybe even a little bit higher than that. I think people people will take that, especially after if you've rostered him for a long time in Dynasty and you're just like hoping for anything <laughs> out of him at this point compared to what you've seen in the past. So th- I think there's definitely some reasons to being encouraged here. Let's just see. I think it'll be a big uh, April will be pretty big. Does he come out showing the same stuff and the same level of performance or is he back to the old Heaney or is he even healthy then? Maybe he has an injury in spring training. It's Heaney. Who knows? But I'm, I'm definitely I'm encouraged. I'll, I'll put it that way, at least. Next here, Aaron Savali, a guy that you know, Chris and I were talking about like, who else we wanted to add to our kind of show outline. Savali was a, a late addition here. We, I don't think we've talked about Aaron Savali in a while, which shame on us is we have his brother here working, doing some injury stuff for us here at Fantrax. But Savali was kind of those, you know, better in real life than fantasy arms. There wasn't a lot of like, you know, a lot of appeal for fantasy. It was kind of like, all right, you stream them in good matchups. But you look at down the stretch here uh, from September 1st on, as I pull over to uh, his stats here. He was like quietly very good. I think people missed it because it was September and they were checked out or whatever. But he had a 27.7% K rate, just 2.4% walk rate, 327 ERA, but 257 XFIP, 267 Sierra, 0.77 whip. And I think people were looking at how good McKenzie was, how good Bieber's been, and, you know, they absolutely were. But I think Savoy's kind of season went under the radar, at least at the end of the year. He had a 185 batting average against as well, you know, are you kind of buying into this, Chris, or or what? Do you you think it's more of a mirage? Are you, are you buying or is it a mirage? I don't know because he's shown the flashes of being a really useful starter. And if you look at the overall season, while the overall ERA is totally unimpressive, there were a lot of other things under the hood that were good. And you look, and his xERA was right at four, the FIP at three eight seven, and the xFIP at three six nine. So. Obviously, some usefulness there, and the finish to the season, I think, was also something that can be spoken for for him, and I don't know. I just trust Cleveland with arms. He's still young. I mean, he just turned 27, so we're talking about a pitcher entering the prime of his career, and I think Savali has some usefulness, but I also think Savali won't get the love that he deserves in drafts and even in dynasty leagues but his second half in general was just really good and i think that's important to note that his second i mean the splits between the first and second half 
And, you know, was there anything notable that changed? Like when I, when I see that, I always want to know like what changed. So I'm going to look at his pitch mix by month, look at velo by month. And yeah, so here's what changed. He started using the cutter significantly more, like a lot more. And he began to use the sinker less. And in the process, he got more strikeouts. The whiff rate on the cutter was really good. He gets virtually no whiffs on the sinker. That's okay. Sinker is not a pitch where you're getting a lot of whiffs. But he, he mixes in a lot of pitches, which is good. But I like seeing the cutter usage up, actually. like yeah. That's a valuable pitch, and especially when it gets solid whiff numbers overall – and especially over the final month, like so, there was a pitch mix change first off that caused some change. Velo was pretty similar overall throughout the year, so you know that's that's fine. Like it didn't drop off. He began to get a little more spin on pitches. Like splitter got a lot more spin at the end of the year. He didn't throw the splitter a whole lot, so nothing really notable there. But yeah, across the board, like. I'm seeing similarities, but the pitch mix changed. Like, so I can kind of sit on that and say, like, if he uses the cutter, it's his most used pitch. And then he's mixing in the curve as well. Like, there's a lot of value to be had with Savali. So, yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to be buying next year, depending on his cost, because I really do like the profile. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think the cost is going to be pretty solid. So I think people are going to look at the surface stats and it's kind of like what he's been for, you know, better part of a few years now. But yeah, the cutter usage went up. And yeah, the, you know, the metrics weren't, the greatest on that there's a batting average against and slugging allowed in September, but you know, it's been a pretty solid pitch for him overall. And the you know, four home runs kind of boogied a lot of that. And the curveball has been very good for a while now. 111 batting average against in September, 120 in August, 083 in, in July, whiff rates 47, 9, 52, 5, 46, keeping that right around 30% usage rate. So, it's definitely a lot to like here. Obviously, Cleveland as well. He's got the good command as well. They're dropping that walk rate down to like what two point whatever percent later in the year. So I think you look at his XERA, all the ERA indicators were at least a run, full run below his surface ERA. So yeah, people will look at you know four ninety seven or four ninety two ERA and kind of drop him down their boards. But I think he could be a sneaky good value in, in next year's drafts and. Yeah, similarly in, in Dynasty too, I think you can get them for a pretty reasonable price tag right now. So yeah, definitely a, a solid under the radar target in all formats. I think next name here, he was a name. This is a name that I didn't originally plan on putting on the list because it's not like he had this you know big you know September performance or anything like that. But it was one particular tweet from someone that knows a lot about pitching that made me put him on this list just to talk about. Eno Saris, obviously, you know, the guru, pitching guru, one of the number one pitching minds in the entire world. Everyone knows him from the athletic and and the uh, Bates, Bates and Rails. Yeah, oh, my God. The Rates and Barrels podcast. It's been a long day. Rates and Barrels podcast. Yeah, I did a tweet on the third just a few days ago. Did the biggest stuff plus improvers this season from last season. And very impressive list is Strider at number six. Chris Archer, oddly, at number five, whatever. Otani at four, Ashby at three. Wright was number one, and then Mitch Keller was number two. But then you look at the just look at the metrics, and it's like there's a disconnect here. And I'd, I'd love to kind of talk to Eno about this as like what he thinks like the disconnect is between you know him having the great stuff plus metric, but same time just look at like K rate and you know at performance in general. 
it just hasn't like hasn't clicked. There hasn't been that connection there. Something some disconnect. I'm not sure what it is. I'm gonna dig into it further this offseason. But does that tweet that Eno put out like does that give you any additional hope for for Mish Keller, or do you kind of fall into where I am in that there this is what he is at this point? I don't know. I actually like him honestly. Like I think that there were things this year that I saw that made me want to buy and there was some there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows it seems like he may be a guy that's just very volatile his whole career and that's kind of my fear that he's just a very volatile pitcher but I am intrigued by Keller and you look and overall I would say it was a pretty solid season not great but he had a sub four ERA the whip was bad. I mean, yeah, he he walked too many batters, and that kind of cost him, allowed a lot of hits. So was he a bit lucky? I don't know. I mean, the ERA ind- indicators are pretty similar to his actual ERA. He isn't missing bats, so it's interesting to see him as one of the bigger stuff improvers when he's just not missing bats. I mean, the strikeout rate, just not there. And this is – and honestly, like I thought that Mitch Keller coming through the minors, like he would be a solid strikeout rate type guy. We just never really saw that come to fruition with him. But the second half was really good. I mean, he had a 309 ERA over 70 innings in the second half. That'll play all day long. 61 Ks in 70 innings. I mean, that's not great. But if you're getting a good ratio, then that's okay. And I think that he has some value to be had. Here's the biggest issue with him. He can't complete the third time through the order. Look at these ERAs by time through the order. 399, first time through the order. Second time, 229. Third time through the order, 7.18. Like, yeah, that's just, yeah, that's bad. So just pull him out after two times through the order. Hopefully he goes five innings and can get a win, and I'm okay. Like, he just can't. Like, I'd be curious to see if that, that broken down more, like, by first half, second half. I'm not sure you can actually do that on fan graphs. But if you could, like, I'd be interested to see, like, how that looked, if that improved in the second half or not when everything improved. But, yeah, that's just brutal to look at and see. Still, the strikeout rate's similar through each time through the order. It doesn't really change much either way. But, yeah, he needs to strike out more hitters to be fantasy viable. But I don't think he's going to cost much at all. So, Keller will be interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, at this point – I don't know if I'd see like that breakout ever coming, you know, it's like I I watch him now and then I kind of think back to when he was coming up through the Pittsburgh organization and, you know, back when he was considered one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. And it's like, you know, yeah, the pitch mix has changed a little bit, but there's a lot of similarities in which he's always had, you know, the big fastball. It was 95, five this year. He's had the two good, you know, this, the breaking pitches that look good to the eye, or the slider and the curveball, but he just he's never gotten the whiff rates on them. I mean, look at his, you know, I see his slider you know, early on, he had a good whiff rate on the slider, but this year it was 28 1, last year 30.5. That's not bad, it's not great either. Curveball, let's see, 33 3 his first year, and then since then 13%, 12.8%, and 20%. So, well, the slider's been solid, the curveball has really fallen off, and you know, he just doesn't get great metrics on the four seamer it was okay this year but in the past hasn't been good last year 313 batting average against on that four seamer so i just wonder if there's always to be like that 
one of those guys that looks, I mean, if you just watch him, you're like, oh, this guy looks like he could be pretty good. Then you look at the metrics, look at the stats and all that. It's just like, meh, I guess not. So I don't know. I'm, I don't, I'm done waiting for it. And I was never a, a big Keller guy. I was always a little bit lower on him than most when he's a prospect, but I thought he would be better than this. And this year, 391 ERA in 159 innings. That's okay. That's usable, but 140 whip. He always lost too many base runners. Well, too much, you know, it's, it's too, too many base runners and there's too many walks, though. He did drop it to 8.7%. That's fine. But K-Rate's just never been there. I don't know if it's ever going to be there. I think this would take a, a massive overhaul and maybe a change of scenery, get him out of Pittsburgh. I don't know. Maybe something like that could be the, the ticket, but I think I'm just done waiting on Mitch Keller, <laughs> but I don't know. I'll have to see what the price tag is, but I don't know. It's, I've seen a lot of this and it's, I don't know. I don't know if I see him making those improvements. I don't know. I remember last oh. off season, I uh, when I was doing like player breakdowns on the uh, fan tracks, <laughs> wrote an article titled "Mitch Keller's Less Than Stellar MLB Performance." <laughs> That's what his whole career feels like—just less yep. than stellar. <laughs> yeah, look at look at you rhyming there with your article uh, title there. I think I, I think I remember you writing that article too. I do yeah. remember that. Was that that was last off season? You said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that hasn't really. I mean, Mitch Keller slightly. M- better than less than stellar <laughs> so a little like better that. this year but still still less than stellar still falls in that category right all right let's see we had a couple more names on the list but let's end it with one more here let's end it with an atlanta brave for mr chris clegg here and a guy that has completely flown under the radar last month or so of the season but bryce elder kind of they were trying to find after anderson got demoted they're trying to find some consistency to back into that rotation and he really provided it Look at down since September 1st, he, excuse, 175 ERA, 0.94 whip, you know, 23% K rate, 6% walk rates, you know, wasn't really the elite prospect like a, a Strider or Ian Anderson or a Freed or even Kyle Wright, but he, he always had pretty solid performances in the minor leagues and, you know, really showed some, some good, you know, consistency down the stretch. Chris, do you think there's, you know, as the Atlanta Brave fan in the room here, you think there's any staying power to you know Elder? And you think he's a good buy in dynasty right now? He's quite interesting. You mentioned not really having the pedigree or track record, and he was part of that 2020 class that Spencer Strider was also a part of. And it's interesting to me because you know he, he was a freshman in 2018 at Texas, didn't pitch that much, and he wasn't good. And then in 2019, he had a really solid season. But then obviously 2020, it seemed like he was finally putting it all together, but the season got you know, cut short. He really cut the walk rate in 2020. Now that's a long time ago, college, whatever. But I think his stuff is interesting. I'm not sure how good he can be and what the upside is, but the arsenal is at least well enough rounded where I think that he can be useful. It's interesting because he began using the sinker a lot more and the sinker actually got whiffs and the sinker was almost like a ticket to his success. Like he began using the slider less, which I find interesting. The slider is a fine pitch, but he began to use it less in favor of the sinker. The sinker usage went way up in September, 52.6%. Like does that stick? I don't really know, but the slider went down, the cutter usage went down, the changeup usage actually went up a bit. He pretty much ditched the four seam exclusively, which I think is good. So it's interesting to see like who he will be. And 
I don't know. Like, so even have a spot next year, I don't know, because I think it depends pretty solely on what the Braves do in the offseason. Morton's back now. So I don't even know if he's got a spot next year. Right. But this could be a case where the Braves sell high in a trade and move him. Like they've just got a plethora of starting pitchers that like you could run out. Like, I mean, they've got nine guys I think are capable of being in the rotation at this point. So Elder could be one where he's traded and could find some success elsewhere, I think. And they could use him to get a piece that they need. So I like Elder. I'm not sure the upside here, but I think he could be a useful back and starting pitcher for fantasy purposes that doesn't really get valued as such. I mean, solid whiff rates on his pitches, honestly. Slider's got a 36.6%. Sinker's pretty good whiff rate, honestly. And he, he doesn't allow home runs either, which is encouraging. Low batting average against overall. Again, I think he's a, a bigger question mark than most of the guys we've mentioned on the list, but I'm at least a little bit intrigued. Yeah, I think I am too. And the, the Rays have a pretty good track record lately of you know, getting the most out of their pitching prospects. So Anderson did kind of fall back down, but a couple of things here before we round out the show. Chris, if you read an article about Bryce Elder, you can call it Respect Your Elders. <laughs> good there name. Go. I like it. Secondly, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it plethora. <laughs> is that the right term there? I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 no. The right term. This I've heard it. Maybe it's a northern and southern thing, but I've always heard plethora. So ple- oh. plethora, plethora. So like pleth and then aura. But you did plethora. So like different kind of like two syllables with different spots. I've just never heard yeah. it that way. Maybe it's, maybe it's a northern and southern thing. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, what was the last thing I was to say? Oh, yeah. So for 2023, so two separate questions, 2023 and then beyond, Ian Anderson or Bryce Elder? I'm God, probably elder. I just, <laughs> I just don't think Ian Anderson's that good. Like he just lost it completely. And he was yeah. not good in the minor leagues either after he got demoted, had injuries. Like, so I don't know. I mean, he's tough. He just, he's had his flashes where he looked good, but I, I don't know who Ian Anderson is either. So Do you think tough. he gets a, another shot to like start? Yeah. I mean, I think probably he, he may, I don't know. Like, is he out of options? Like, I think that probably matters. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. He's still got three. He'll have two minor league options after this year. So he okay. may start the year in AAA because I just – so you're going to have Freed, Strider, Wright, and Morton. So you've got four for sure locked in next year. Rizzi, do they pick up the option? I hope not, honestly. But, <laughs> I mean – nobody, nobody wants – Jake Odorizzi, he's never been like terrible, but just he's always just kind of like nobody likes him. They lost every start he had down the stretch except for the game that they clinched. So that, mean, that it, makes sense. That sounds yeah, about right. He was just so bad. They they dumped Will Smith, who was bad for him. So it was like a it was a win win and a lose lose for both teams. Like if that's possible, it was like both teams most hated pitcher like swap teams. And they <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So yeah, they're they're not picking up this contract. It's twelve point five million. There's just yeah, no, no, no way they do. Yeah. No chance they pick up the price. It's got a 6.25 million buyout. So like, that's just yeah. silly. Like who, why did the Astros do this? Like anyway, I, I assume they probably buy him out, but still that's a, a big chunk to lose paying 6.25 to buy him out. I mean, gum. So I don't know. We'll see. I don't think he's in the rotation to start next year, but who knows? I mean, they could go out and sign a starter or trade for a starter, which I hope they do like, the rotation's yeah. good, but get a genuine ace, like a, a true ace like DeGrom. Just pay him. 
Hey, hey, stop hogging all the good pitchers, Chris. <laughs> I'm over here with the broken down, rotting corpse of Chris Sale. Eovaldi's about to fall apart, it seems like. I got I got Brian Bayo and then like a you know Michael Walker and Nick Pavetta. Give me some of the good arms, all right? I'm I'm tired of this. <laughs> stop hogging them all. And like you, you have the four you mentioned, then you also for that five spot, it's some combination of Ian Anderson, you also have Kyle Mueller. Uh, Kyle Miller and Jared Schuster got to play this year yep. as well. So three pretty solid prospects. Right there. It's like then you go Owen Owen Murphy's a while, you know, it's a couple years away. But yeah, stop hogging all the good arms. Don't get Jacob DeGrom. Can you, can you imagine a rotation? De, you know, you throw in DeGrom and then you throw in Freed and Strider and Wright and more. And like, who's your five? Kyle Wright? That's <laughs> Morton, crazy. I don't know. That's insane. Crazy to even imagine. Right, and here I am just hoping that the Red Sox rotation doesn't completely suck next year, but we'll see. That's a discussion for another day, and that is going to wrap us up for this episode. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter, Chris is at Roto Clegg. I am at Eric Cross04, and our show's at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ or over on our Patreon, of course. And join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take care. Yeah.